Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Everybody, welcome to the PHLY Sixers podcast where my ankle is hurting today, but I'm not the only one dealing with some issues, and we'll talk about it alongside my partners, as always, Derek Bodner, Kyle Newbeck. Again, I'm Devon Givens with you, Bree producing all of you in the chat. Look forward to talking with you all throughout this uh, show as we have a bunch to get into. Latest on Joel Embiid and the conversation, what color hoodies we're wearing today. You guys can see it now if you're checking in. And so much more from Doc Rivers, Tyrese Maxey, some rumors out there. Plenty to get to. And uh, we're glad to be back here with you. Derek, what's going on? Not much. I'm doing well. We all are all sporting hoodies. Yes. Uh, Devon forgot his PHLY hat, which I is did. a real shame because now there are Tomorrow. a couple different options to choose from. Uh, go to PHLYlocker.com. You can check those That's out. That's PHLYlocker. There you go. Ah, he remembered the website. <laughs> Growth is possible. <laughs> Kyle, what's happening, man? My well, ankle hurts. Well, I have a you, knee that is not uh, not swollen, so okay. I'm doing better than Joel Embiid, it appears. Well, but I guess that's where we need to begin because there's <laughs> there's some there's some things out there now. Uh, just putting it out there, of course, Ramona Shelburne at ESPN. She was talking to Woj on his podcast, and she spoke about Joel Embiid and him dealing with knee issues, the same knee as she said from the playoffs where he had to play through it. Well, and specifically the same injury that same he had injury. in the playoffs last year. Yes, yeah. that he played through in the playoffs. You deal with it at that time, but right now it's the regular season. You can take some time off. It's a, Also, she mentioned how it was a four- to six-week injury to deal with. And right now, I'm sure that people who have seen it or heard it uh, were a little concerned, Derek, about what was being said. So what are your thoughts uh, right away as we are in, what, game number 36? 30, I think it was 36 last night, so 37 on Friday against the Sacramento Kings where Joel Embiid has already missed time. And uh, right now we are unclear if he's going to play tomorrow in this game against Sacramento. But certainly something that he's dealt with, missing games, injury his entire career, and here's another one. Yeah, and look, so to clarify, you know, Ramona put out a clarification a little while ago. Just as a recap of his injury statuses, he had a an LCL sprain in his right knee in, during a playoffs last year. Uh, he currently has swelling in his left knee. So they are two different knees. Um, and I think, you know, she sort of got it mixed up there on which knee he injured last year. And I think she was trying to preach caution that since this was a knee that he had previously injured, to be, like I said, cautious in his return to play. Um, that doesn't mean it's not like I confirm that he does not have an LCL sprain in either knee this year. Uh, it's not the same injury. It's not even the same knee. 
That doesn't necessarily mean like he's out of the woods. Knees can be tricky. There can be things that like it can take longer to heal. There can be things that you find later on. Embiid specifically has a history of knee injuries. Like I said, I don't want to preach he's in the clear. Team does consider it day to day, but like I said, there's always concern with a knee and a big man. It's just not the same knee and it's not the same injury. And I think that was worth clarifying. Yeah. It did cause a little bit of panic in Sixers. Reddit, Twitter, the quote that went around, if it had been a hundred percent true and accurate would have been alarming, right? Because it would have been, not only are we talking about an injury that she's suggesting would have taken a while. She buttressed that comment by saying, look, this is guys are thinking now about the 65 game threshold and all that. And it's like, that is not what I want to hear when we're talking about a four to six week injury that, Hey, just going to play through it, tape it up. Like if you, if it was an excuse to underperform in a playoff series and it's that bad, it's just like you had to soldier through and he had the same thing. Now the easy thing is like treat it like a four to six week injury. So it was a relief to hear that at least as far as we know right now, it's still that day-to-day issue. I would say this more concerning for me was I believe, or is it, or was this Covington that nurse is talking about in Atlanta where he's saying he's dealing with a knee thing. And every time he works out, the swelling goes back up, having to monitor the swelling for Joel moving forward, I would say is the big yeah. thing. It's like I said, I don't ever want to say like, don't worry about a knee injury because knee injuries historically are something you always worry about, especially with big men, especially with Joel Embiid. But it would have been more concerning if it was the same knee that would have required four to six weeks of rest last spring. If it was the same injury that required that kind of rest it's not. Like I said, it's not an LCL sprain. It's in the um, other knee. It's in the left knee, whereas last, uh, the swelling is in the left knee now. It was a LCL sprain in the right knee last fall. It's completely separate. I don't think the LCL sprain that he suffered um, in the playoffs caused him to bump knees with Julius Randle. That doesn't feel like there's any way to logically connect those two. But because it is a different knee and a different injury, uh, last year's timeline, like I said, I think she was trying to point out the severity of the injury last year because she misremembered the knee and just wanted to say, okay, because this was a serious injury last year, to take some time and be cautious with it. But like I said, I think she just misremembered which knee he injured last year. And because of that, we're all now panicking. And look, I get it. Like as someone who now comes on the show and, and talks five days a week, like you misspeak at times. You misremember at times too. No. It happens. <laughs> it's just this specific one caused a lot of panic. It did. And with the history that he already has, of course, that's just going to go with it. If this was a guy where he maybe hasn't missed as much time as he has in the past, especially with his knees, then maybe it wouldn't be discussed as much because they are still a a good team. You have another potential all-star on the roster already that can carry the load a little bit and pick up some W's. Not last night. He did his part, but overall not last night that this wouldn't be as big of a deal. But since it is Embiid, it is the injury history that goes along with him. This is a real thing. Then you couple it with seeing the team play the record that they have without him in the lineup that will then cause that big concern with Sixer fans overall because they see a pathway I think a lot of people do where they look at Boston and that's the one team that they maybe look at and say, okay, this is the team that we had to get through. We can beat the Milwaukee Bucks. They have some flaws. There's some things there that they can crack through and get past the Milwaukee Bucks. But Other than Boston, you're really looking at a situation where this is another good opportunity for the Sixers to get past that second round and maybe advance. And if he's not in that lineup, we've seen where they can be good at times, but more so so far, Kyle, where they have not been good with him in that lineup. 
Listen, man, like I said it when I went on my big rant the other day about leaving him in to preserve the 30 and 10 streak. He is the reason and basically the only reason that they are relevant as a team and as a franchise. You can see that in a game against Atlanta where Tyrese has 35, Tobias has 32, and they give up a billion points and lose to a Hawks team that's been pretty bad all season. You see it when they go on the road. They get blown out by teams like Minnesota, teams like New Orleans, who New Orleans at that time was not even playing all that well. They're on a good run of form right now. But they lose and lose handily to the good teams without Joel. And they lose even to teams like Atlanta when they don't have them available. So I get it. Like, you want to see him on the floor, but you also don't want him to expose himself to injury this far away from the playoffs or further injury, I should say. It's a really tough balance to strike for them. It is one of the reasons that despite all his gifts and all the positive things he brings, that he is a tough star to build around in some ways, at least for the regular season. Because when he's healthy, it's like, guy's one of the best players, if not the best player in the world. But there are these pockets of time in every season that you have to figure out a plan. And I think, frankly, a lot of fans, having seen how they're performing without Joel, are even further on that bandwagon of go get a third star, go get a real guy at the deadline. Because I think being realistic at this stage of Joel's career and certainly where we're at right now, people say and and probably know, hey, he's going to miss another 10 games, whatever it is, 10 games or more the rest of the way. And if we care about seeding and playoff positioning and where they're going to be as we head into April, they're going to need a little bit more help because they're – simply not good enough right now without him. And one thing that I remember when I first got back uh, with these guys was, Derek, you saying one of the first things was, very simple, I just want to see a Sixers run during the postseason where the guy's healthy. Just one. Just one. Just one. And now this props up. Now, it does crop up now where yeah. it, it's we are still, uh, again, 40-plus games away from them in the postseason and getting to April where – that chance may still exist, but for right now, this something like this comes out. We see him not playing in these games. The guys go to practice and they're and they're seeing him out there or not out there, and hearing the coach speak about it. And he's not at the games. He's not traveling to Atlanta. There's still no certainty of if, if he's going to even play against Sacramento on Friday. You just don't know, and that's where again some of the possibility of freaking out comes in, and and you, you start to get the discussions from the fan base and going back and forth uh, overall. And then you have a game like last night with Paul Reed and Mo Bamba are your backup fives, and that gives you concern there because when Andre Drummond was here and he missed games, people were okay with it just because you felt like it's only until Embiid gets back. And can you still win games? Well, he goes out and he's getting you 15 and 20 in these games. He's getting you 20 boards and a couple of block shots. He's doing. He's playing very well as a as a backup center role, but someone that you can trust for a good portion of the time while Embiid is out. That's not the same with Paul Reed and Mo Bamba, unfortunately, with the way that they have been playing and the way that we saw them play against the Atlanta Hawks last night. So that just adds to it when when those guys behind him don't perform well enough leveling up when he's not in the game and therefore you have what what is it now two and six two and seven at two this and seven, point two yeah. and seven at this Lost point three straight where that's that's the concern in the three straight that Derek's talking about and now when Kyle mentions the seating you're still in third place but New York is playing well they're catching up 
you're not taking advantage of when, well, when Milwaukee is losing. Boston continues to just play well at the top of the Eastern Conference where you're not catching them, and you find yourself still four and a half, five, five and a half games back of the top seed when it's right there with, within arm's reach, and there's no telling of when he's going to come back. So that, again, is where a lot of the, 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 the concern comes in. Yeah, and I, th- I think to your point about the backup centers, two things related to that. One, and we mentioned this on the post-game show after the Atlanta game, I sense like a growing distrust from Nick Nurse in the options they have. I know he was gung-ho on Paul Reed coming in, thought he's going to be able to use him in more, more looks, use him perhaps more as a power forward. And now we're in January and he makes a bozo play and Nurse is like, get him the fuck off the floor right now. And Bamba, I think, Bamba had a decent game against Atlanta, but I think, you know, body of work has been bad and I don't think he, he trusts him at all. So there's, there's that component. Then I think if there's anybody as tuned in to what the backup center situation is, it's Joel Embiid, right? Like he's aware of how much of a problem that spot has been for a lot of his career. He knows what the on-off splits are. He knows what the win-loss records are. He saw last season, frankly, they were pretty damn good without him on the floor. A lot of that was just due to having James Harden and Tyrese Maxey to shoulder the load when he was out. But I think he sees this now. He sees how they're performing in his absence. And my concern would be if he is really hurt at some point or if it's like borderline where it's like, yeah, maybe you should sit out a few more games and that'll get your knee completely right or whatever amount of time it would take. My concern would be Joel is going to say, no, I need to be out there. I need to play as many games as possible for that reason, for the all NBA MVP purposes, all like that's where I think they could get into real trouble. I, I don't care, frankly, that much. Like it'll be bad for us in terms of the, the product. It'll be bad for their record, all that. But him sitting out when he's hurt, I endorse it 100% every single time. Get the guy healthy, deliver him to April, May, and maybe one day June with a a clean sheet of health, and that's all any of us can ask for. So I hope that – I would say the team, but I hope that Joel has the right things in mind as he looks at this because the athlete always wants to play. The athlete always wants to be out there for the team. And I just want him to dial it back maybe just a little bit if that's the difference between him getting healthy and him having to play compromised. No, I I agree. And as she mentioned in that conversation, she talked, Ramona Shelburne, I'm talking about, she mentioned that he does want to play. And of course he does. Of course he does. And But they're going to tell him, no, you don't need to be going out there right now. You're going to maybe hurt us more than help us by being out there. And we've seen them win in the past. It just hasn't happened this year on the floor with the current personnel that they have to get those W's. And, and as we mentioned, Drummond, you have the bull. RJ saying trading Drummond was the dumbest mistake. Uh, Maury trading him was crazy. Still mad about it. I just want to say two things. First of all, he was included in the James Harden trade. Yeah. That trade was kind of consequential, not only because you got James Harden, <laughs> which eventually became a couple of draft picks, but also because you got off of Ben Simmons' contract. Uh, and the reports were that the Nets actually wanted Drummond in, and included in that deal. The other thing is Drummond hasn't really been able to stay on the floor in the playoffs. Like oh, I, I think we're say, overlooking yeah. the fact that this guy cannot play in the playoffs because he doesn't move outside of five feet from the basket. Look, good regular season player, minutes eater, 
well, rebound eater, but he's not a solution. And Ash mentioned the same thing in the chat about the playoffs. And my only response to that was going to be, well, but we were only talking about the regular season. We weren't talking about the playoffs when Embiid is missing that time. Sure. But I, like, I was focused on, I'm just, what I was no, saying, go ahead, go ahead. I was focused on the, the regular season because that's where we are right now. And we're seeing the struggles. The difference, of course, with him on the floor. They don't have in the regular season. Right they don't now. have that right now. Playoffs is a whole different story. We know that. But to you, go ahead. I'm, to your point. I was just saying, like, my biggest concern is still, like, I trust Paul Reed less in the playoffs now than I did at this time last year. Mm -hmm. And they need to either get him right or get a solution. And I've always gone back that I don't think they're going to spend real resources on a backup center. I don't think that that is the way Daryl Moore is wired, is to spend resources, limited resources, on an eight to 10 minute per game player. Now, if someone like Larry Markinen or Kelly Olenek or someone who we think can play alongside Joel Embiid as well, then yes, maybe they will spend more resources because that player can play more often. But still, like, yes, it is a concern now. And really what it, the biggest concern I think is that you're probably going to have one series where Joel Embiid's going to miss a game or two. History just says that, that is the case. You would like to at least split those games. Right now, I have less confidence than I did a, a little while ago, but I just don't want to overreact to that. And I think some of that, like we're talking about the backup centers, some of that is they need better wing or perimeter talent. Mm -hmm. Like they, they have to upgrade the other guys so that when Joel does go down or is on the bench, whatever, they just have a stronger supporting cast next to whoever is playing those minutes. Because, look, they cannot end up in a spot. And this is – I know I criticized Nurse a little bit last night. I'll do it again here. They cannot end up in a spot where they're playing Marcus Morris at center yeah, in, right. in real games, in real right. playoff situations. Like, that's completely unacceptable. And, again, like – I've criticized Marcus plenty during his time here. I've been up and down on him in general. It is not Marcus Morris's fault that he can't be a center defensively. He has never been one. The only time he's been in any sort of lineup that had success with him playing a even close to that kind of role is in LA when he's surrounded by Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Nick Batum. Like the whole lineup is six, eight guys, and you're switching everything and doing that. That's not what he's being the position he's being put in here. So however they have to solve that problem, solve it, but they cannot go into the playoffs with, hey, the backup center thing's not working. We're gonna throw Marcus in there. Like that, that absolutely cannot happen. And if you're a big Marcus Morris fan, uh, like Kyle and Derek are, maybe you need a car. And I know just the place for you, and that's to go to Wheelhouse Cards. Wheelhouse is our go-to sports card gift and apparel shop in the Delaware Valley. Their motto is cards and community, just like we're trying to build here with our, our team here on the PHLY6s podcast, our community. Wheelhouse has that as well because love of sports unites us all. They carry, they carry all of your favorite cards, brands like Tops, Chrome Baseball, and Mosaic Football, as well as also T-shirts, hats, and hoodies from brands like Mitchell & Ness, 47 Brand, Junk Food, and Starter as well. Don't forget about Shibe Vintage Sports. Looking to grade your sports collection or even upgrade your sports collection, Wheelhouse offers PSA grading submissions. They also host tons of different family-friendly events and birthday parties every month so go ahead look out for wheelhouse cards stop in either of the stores in wayne or westchester they're open seven days a week at 11 a.m use phly and get ten dollars off any purchase of 20 25 or more in store also be sure to give them a follow on instagram at wheelhouse cards
And guys, it's your favorite part of every single show we do. <laughs> Kyle says the word bagels. <laughs> bagels and Co. offers huge Brooklyn-style bagels made here in Philadelphia. I eat bagels several days a week, and Bagels and Co. offers an average of around 15 to 20 types of bagels that rotate seasonally. Just had a Christmas steam bagel. I can't believe I didn't get to try one of those. I think probably one of you guys had one when we were at Reading Terminal Market, if I had to guess, but be chasing that dragon for a long time. But guys, if you're a cream cheese guy like I am, they offer 30 different flavors of cream cheese. They rotate all throughout the year. And it's worth mentioning, Bagels & Co. do themed cream cheeses for all the local sports teams. That includes the Sixers. That includes the Eagles, who season might end Monday. We don't know. Best of luck to the birds. But guys, sticking with Bagels & Co., they have kept their prices down to stay affordable as inflation goes up. Because they want you to be an everyday customer, not just someone who comes in for a weekend splurge. They offer premium coffee in addition to those wonderful, gigantic Brooklyn-style bagels. And that coffee comes at a superior price to most national brands and chains. So for the best Brooklyn-style bagels made right here in Philly, head to www.thebagelsandco.com slash store dash locator to find the closest Bagels & Co. near you. I haven't really eaten yet. Like eating, eating. I've like had just at all today. Like food, food. I've had donuts and stuff. Junk. You're a big donut guy. I am discovering. Yeah, I, I, like, like, I like donuts. Wouldn't wouldn't guess that looking at you. You know, you still stay nice and trim. Yeah, I've I've um. I've yeah. seen Devon walk in with like a little little Ziploc <laughs> bag of donuts. I mean, that's that sold me. I am now going on a donut diet. <laughs> oh, also, illicit traps asked when we get the Kyle themed cream cheese. So I'll have to put in a call to bagels and cones. What would a Kyle? What would that actually look like? So it's got to be something with like a little bit of spice. I tend to love like the jalapeno themed hmm. or adjacent cream cheeses. I like a horseradish cream okay. cheese. I had a, I can't remember the name of the place. It's not Bagels and Co. So I won't name them. Went to a place that had like a cheddar horseradish cream cheese. Put that on an everything bagel. Can't beat it. And do you go plain bagel when you have that type of cream cheese, or you no. go? Okay. I'm, I'm basically everything unless they don't have it. See, I'm 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 too plain with everything plain or like an, yeah. an Asiago cheese type thing if they have that. Those like are that. yeah. I mean, listen, it, if you're at a place that does some fancier ones, I'll I'll, I'll browse, but I'd say the standard is a an everything yeah. bagel. All right, I'm hungry. And Derek's now going on the, on the donut diet. So that's what you got. I mean, from look, whatever, whatever works for you, man. Co. I once had a brother who lost 100 pounds legitimately eating pasta every day. And I'm like, how the hell did you lose weight eating pasta? He's like, well, Derek, I would just buy an, a box. A box was 2,000 calories. I'd eat just the box. It was really easy to count my calories. And that's how I lost weight. I'm like, hey, man, whatever works for you, you do it. You do it. That's the know. new Atkins diet, except the opposite. <laughs> well, Pasta diet, not for me, because I don't need to lose 100 pounds. And uh, no, I'm not doing that. But hey, if you're talking about bagels and all and spreading things around, it seemed like somebody was spreading some lies, uh, formerly oh. of the 76ers. And uh, that would be one, at least that's how we're taking it, Doc Rivers. He's blaming others for things that took no. place with the 76ers. <laughs> no, stop blaming other people blaming for his failures. No. Yes. Even lineup changes saying if somebody uh. was being nice, even when he was trying to say somebody was being nice. And the person is already nice. You didn't have to make him look nicer and how much he cares about the team. He was lying about that too. Doc Rivers <laughs> <laughs> it's somebody else's fault. And that's somebody, Daryl Morey. 
Daryl Morey. Yeah. Speaking His about time Maury. was going to come eventually. Oh, yeah. When you talk as much as Doc Rivers is able to talk now, it eventually is going to just drop out and just fall out into the Because he's lap. hit what? He's hit James, Joel, now Daryl. Now Daryl. Eventually it'll yeah. be oh, Tyrese. Tyrese the, something. Yeah. I guess he's going to respond to Tyrese Maxey now and say that Tyrese was lying. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, Doc Rivers said that Basically, Daryl Morey talks too much when it comes to the trade deadline. Would you like me to read How the, you're dealing with things? And Kyle has it right here to read to you. The full quote from, as Mark Zumoff used to say, there's only one doc in Philadelphia. The full quote from Glenn Rivers. One of the quote, one of the problems, probably had many. One of the problems I had with Daryl was that he talked too much. So from a coaching standpoint. The exact same problem I have with Kyle. <laughs> same problem I have with Glenn. So, so from a coaching standpoint, and I got this from guys in Houston when he came, they said, you got to get him to talk less because trying to coach a team every day, your guys are mentioned every day in trades. Then here comes the coach. Hey, I want you to play a lesser role. Or I want you to do this. And then he's like, the player is like, why? You guys talk about me every day about being traded. I'm not buying in. It makes it hard. So your thoughts, gentlemen, before I go scorched earth on this one. <laughs> if there's one person, I mean, look, it's smart for ESPN because Doc can't help himself in these regards. So they put him on the air. They get him. Oh, this was on Bill Simmons' podcast. Okay, so it's smart by Bill Simmons to have him on because Doc can't help himself. And whenever he has a chance to defend himself or def deflect any criticism of himself, he's going to take that opportunity. And there's obviously been a lot of criticism about how the end of the six or his six or tenure ended for him to come out and complain. Because really, if you go back, it's just Simmons and Harden were really the only two I can remember that Daryl talked about We were going through publicly. the list as we... Sure, there was reports of other players, but that mostly came from the media, and that's going to happen in today's media environment. It's really just Ben and James, and both of those, James reportedly didn't want to play for Doc Rivers. Now, there's obviously other problems there, including Daryl's own making. And part of Ben's problem was that common stock made right after the season ended. And again, there's more to it than that, obviously, with Ben. And I think both those probably would ask out even without Doc Rivers being there. But for him to come out and complain about those two players being in trade talks, how was... Daryl's supposed to avoid that. Like when James demands a trade and Ben demands a trade and refuses to show up, that's why we're talking about it. It's not like there's any way to really avoid acknowledging that, or talking about it. It was a two very public trade requests. Very public. And as public as it gets. As, as public as it gets. And and for me, I, I first of all, I, sometimes you do want to hear from the general manager. You don't always want to hear from the head coach. You want to get a different voice, get a different take, especially when it starts yeah. to get close to the trading deadline. You really want to know what's going on and uh, a couple of things. Whenever they decide to sit down and have the discussions, whether they go on television, radio, podcast, welcome, Daryl, come on in. And whatever it is that you want to hear from the, the guy who's making those moves also, you want to hear from them. And, I, and the one thing that not only media but also the fan base is they don't say anything. They just go on there and it's a PC, nothing kind of conversation where you don't get anything. And the one thing that I did appreciate and still do about Daryl Morey is he at least gives you something to go off of. Whether he's saying it a certain way where he's not giving you too much, but he makes you think about what he's saying, it's different, of course, coming from a head coach who has to deal with it in the building from their own personal conversations of what he's actually sharing publicly then for others to go off of. And I never thought it got that far with Daryl Morey where he said too much. 
where he would have the head coach or even the players up in arms about something. Maybe some agent might get a little frustrated about something that he might say. But as far as the coach goes, I never got that. And certainly Doc never relayed that when he was here. It was only when he left to share it in that way. So that's how I read it. And I never really had a problem of what Maury said publicly. And then as Doc says that, as you read those quotes, yeah, I was speaking to people in Houston too. And they said, you got to make sure you get them not, not to get them to throw them under the bus while you're at it because of you saying what the people in Houston were telling you of how to handle with. And while that happens, it's probably not the best thing to say out there uh, for them. So that's how I read it. And typically when Doc Rivers is saying stuff on a podcast like that, I'm probably not listening because really don't have much unless yeah. something jumps out where we have to then go in and listen to it for purposes I've heard of him this talk conversation quite a bit over the last couple of years. I don't yeah. necessarily need a whole lot more. Uh, yeah, so absolutely. I pulled up the Eric Andre meme of him shooting Hannibal Burris and that, that everyone knows where it's like, <laughs> right. why would you do this? And it's like, you fucking did it, man. You had the gun in your hand. And like, that's to Derek's point, the Ben situation is maybe the, the ultimate example of Doc Rivers digging his own grave and then trying to figure out a, a scapegoat or somebody else to blame it on, right? Because we spent, I'd say, a good two-thirds to three-quarters of that season asking Doc what I thought were fair questions about Ben and his playoff liability and the remember, free throws. Remember and, when Kevin Kincaid talked about bringing him out during the the – and the games, and he's like, "How could you? How would you dare bring like, Ben Simmons out? No would NBA you, coach you guys would not do that. Know anything about basketball? Then, like two games then later, immediately he was taking Ben Simmons out. He yeah. spent the whole season gaslighting the public into saying, "Well, Ben doesn't need to do this. Ben is good enough as is. I don't care if Ben does this. I don't care if Ben does that." And then Ben has a complete mental breakdown in the playoffs, and Doc, after circling the wagons the whole year, is like. Yeah, I don't know if he's the point guard of this team on a on a championship level team. It's like, bro, what? So he look to Derek's point that he also made. There were a lot of other factors in Ben requesting a trade, wanting out. That is something that clearly had been brewing for a little bit. There was the Joel component too, where I thought his comments were overblown, but that played into it. There's the stuff that I still make fun of him for to this day. He wished he was on a worse team at the start of his career with less pressure, Insane. blah, blah, blah. The point being, though, that when Daryl has to start talking to people and the rumors are coming in, most of the, the public communication on that is not coming from Daryl to Reporter X. He has no reason to be like, yeah, the best they're getting offered right now is C.J. McCollum, right? Like, Daryl Morey's not advertising that. Right. That's the Portland front office is saying that, or other teams are saying that, so that they at the time could try to get Ben at what people believed was a discount price. Does Daryl talk to media people? Of course he does, but that was the most glaring example of Doc created a problem, the front office, that's Daryl, that's Elton Brand, that's Ned Cohen, that's all kinds of people in that front office. They had to try to rectify it, and they rectified it in a way that I thought was pretty damn good at the end of the day because, as Derek said, they got rid of Ben's contract before that became an absolutely nuclear asset that you do not want on your cap sheet. And then the James Harden stuff, like, yeah, all that stuff, that comes after Doc. That's another example of, like, James is the one who requested the trade. James asked out. James is the one calling Daryl a liar at a press conference. So, like, I don't know what the – I don't really understand the point here. Like, how many guys – Derek brought up 
James and Ben. I think you could maybe say two more guys were even kind of involved in trade stuff. That's Matisse, but it was never like, oh, they're they're trying to trade Matisse to anywhere. By the end of his contract, yes, but that was when it became clear this is not going to work next to Joel Embiid. Needed a, a new team, new fit, all that. It was also after Thibault missed playoff games because of the choices he made away from the floor, we'll say. So that added another wrinkle into the whole thing. And then Maxi, Maxi was allegedly on the table for Kyle Lowry in 2021. Which, I mean, thank you. Which, I, yeah, we'll talk about your all-time. <laughs> we say it all the time. Some of the best moves you make as a general manager are the ones, the moves that you don't make and the trades that you don't commit to. So Maxi was involved in some of these discussions. And over the years, most of it has been, hey, we're not trading Tyrese for Dame. We're not trading Tyrese for this guy and on and on and on. You had no trouble getting him to buy in. So, like, I don't even know who he could be referring to that it's so hard to get guys to buy into roles. Last season, they made their offseason moves, and that was basically the extent of what they did other than trading for Jalen McDaniels at the deadline. No, I mean, look, even with 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 Ben, like, do you remember back when the, the Harden was traded to the Nets and there were reports coming out that the Sixers were offering Ben for Harden? To Houston. And he went out, and he, he he's on the record, Daryl said... No, Ben's a core part of this franchise. We're not interested in moving him. It was obviously a complete lie. They would have traded <laughs> Ben for Harden right then, but he was going of out of his way to try to publicly say, no, we're not going to trade this is our, our guys. Guy, yeah. yeah, and you brought up Tyrese and you brought up Matisse. Neither of those were Daryl saying it publicly. Those were reports from reporters coming out. Uh, and look, when you talked, when two teams talk, someone, whether it's the team offering a player, the team that is, is receiving the offer, or maybe even an agent or someone close to the player will say, hey, look, it's advantageous of me to let this leak to the media. That's going to happen. Like the stuff like Tyrese and Toronto, the stuff like Matisse being available, that's just part of doing business in today's NBA. You can't completely avoid that. Try as you might. The only two he really talked about publicly were Ben and Harden. And both of those, now look, he was forced into talking about him publicly. But he was forced into talking about him publicly. The Harden thing was part it was part of his fault that it devolved yes. into that, but he was forced to talk about publicly. Other than that, I don't think he's really talked about anyone publicly. So for Doc to come out there and say that, I don't really think it applies. Yeah, I look, man, I I feel like for the last few years, I wasn't necessarily super pro Doc. But I at least tried to give him his just due for areas where I thought he helped, including in being like, I think the way I always like to hear it described is doing like the CEO of the team type stuff where it's a lot of the locker room politics and all that. And like, look, it came out that Harden was not happy with how he was being used, whether that's an excuse is kind of immaterial to me. All that stuff was kept very quiet throughout the season. They played very well. Joel wins the MVP, Harden buys into his role, like did all that stuff to get them to the point where the second round loss was a disappointment. And if he could simply have the self-awareness at some point in his career to say, I wish I would have done this. I messed this up. I wish I'd done this differently. But you so very rarely hear that from him. I, people would respect him a lot more if this wasn't a pattern this is every team that he leaves in the year, two years afterward. It's always like, oh, well, you know, Kawhi didn't do their PG, didn't do this. And Kawhi wasn't all the way bought in. Or 
we had this injury, like at least injuries in Boston, I think were his big excuse. And that's like, okay, whatever. That's Kevin Garnett getting hurt, obviously had a. And that was after uh, a championship. So it was kind of, yeah. So that's, you're allowed to do a little bit of griping. So to hear all these sour grapes from Doc about Daryl, about Joel, about James, I'm waiting for him to kill Tyrese next. (laughs) Like, it's everybody, it's always everybody's fault but his own. I can't stand people in any walk of life that just don't take responsibility for their part and why something went wrong. And it was honestly the biggest reason I didn't want Doc to come here and be the coach when they hired him because I thought what he needed after he left L.A. was to take a step back and remove himself from the mistakes that he had made and look at himself and say, here's how I have to improve. Here's how I need to get better before I take my next job. Maybe he's doing that right now. But unfortunately, he learned nothing from his previous failures, and he brought all the same problems to Philly. When he was let go at that time by Los Angeles, I, I remember, and, you know, I, look, I, I don't tweet a lot, a lot, but the one thing that I put out it's immediately was no uh, on social media just because of watching from afar, seeing who he was as a coach with, with, the, with the Clippers, where I thought, sure, Chris Paul, DeAndre Jordan, Blake Griffin got a lot of it. Sure, they are part of the problem, but why is no one really focused on what he is doing or not doing with that team that should have at some point gotten out of the Western Conference? I know the Golden State Warriors were the Golden State Warriors, but still, they were damn good. And he's a good coach, a championship coach, a pedigree already there, and a lot of that was him. And once they hired him, similar to you, I was like, Okay, there's nothing, certainly nothing I can do about that. So let me see what he's going to do. Give him a chance to actually fail if he's going to fail, but certainly succeed if he's going to succeed. He has talent here, which is why he chose this job. And then Daryl Morey is hired later as the president of basketball ops to come in and, and do his part to help this organization again push forward. But he had success. I thought he was really good. He was coach of the month. He had them playing very well that one month in January. He got them the number one seed right back into certain spots. But yeah, it was also, sure, stand up for your player. That The whole thing about the Ben Simmons, that just drove me nuts. Even off the record conversations, you still couldn't get him to say, no, I just want him to worry about free throws. Nobody really said he had to shoot jump shots all that much. It was just more of the aggression and the mentality more than anything, and that goes with the free throws. And then later on, as it became the end, finally leaving, he get let, gets let go. I actually thought he was going to survive. That's my own mistake. I actually thought he was going to survive this <laughs> offseason and then come back for one more year. But when he does do one of his first interviews after the fact, he's talking about the culture of the team and how good they have it and how Joel is this and Tyrese is that and James wasn't traded yet. He starts talking about the culture and He did exactly what Kyle is saying. He was saying how he had a hand in building the culture and how good it is. He couldn't just leave it for what it is. He needed to have that credit when talking about why they are going into this situation as a, in a good place with some good players. Tyrese Maxey is this and he's, but then we forget about, and we'll get to this on the other side. I mean, if we ever, if you guys ever shut up. That he asked the guy, to go and have a roll off the bench when he should have been in the starting lineup. So that's 
that's where I think a lot of people just continue to get frustrated with who he is, what he has done. Sounds like Derek continues to get frustrated <laughs> and that he can't talk to one of our good friends at Rocket Money. You guys blew past our ad break by like 15 minutes. That's fine. Sometimes you just do that because that's what Rivers does. He, yeah. he kind of gets you flowing with the conversation, how frustrated, even when he's gone, that he still, still just leaves a trail of things for you to... To, to get ticked off about when he no longer has anything to do he with anything. He is a glorious self-promoter and a master politician. It's all about his own image. Agree with you there. That being said, I do want to make sure that the lights stay on. So I want to tell you about Rocket they Money. Stay on. We all want to make sure that you get the For most <laughs> out of your money and that you're not wasting money on unnecessary subscriptions. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscription, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. You can see all of your subscriptions in one place, and if you see something you don't want, you can cancel it with a tap, and you never have to get on the phone with customer service. When was the last time you guys got on the phone with customer service? I avoid that like oh, a play. Oh, buddy. I'm not going to name the cable company <laughs> that has a monopoly in the Philadelphia area. Are they area. Comcastic? <sighs> I've, I've had some customer service calls. Let's put it that way. Did you win? Yes. Okay. That's that's what matters. But they took everything. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like the Thanos. What did it cost you? Everything. You don't want to do that. So Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. You can see all of your subscriptions in one place. And if you see something you don't want, you can cancel it with a tap, and you never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com phly. That's rocketmoney.com phly. Rocketmoney.com phly. Before we hit too hard on the maxi piece, I want to bring up one more thing. You know, for Doc saying somebody else talks too much and how harmful it is to getting guys to buy in. Do you think it helps buy in when a young player like Paul Reed goes out, has a very good game, gets asked a question about Paul Reed in the backup center spot after the game? And you say, we're not going to have a Paul Reed victory tour. And you try to dress down people like Derek and other media members for just simply asking, what does Paul have to do in order to win that role? Like, to me, that's a much more egregious example of you're not going to get buy-in when guys play well and you treat them like shit in public and essentially say, it doesn't matter that he played well because I have a guy who played well seven years ago. <laughs> and so. that really was my whole point with the Reed versus uh, Jordan debate is that Jordan can't. I don't know if Paul Reed can, but we haven't watched him, and that's kind of the part of the problem. Um, it is, uh, it's just wild that that press conference played out the way he is. Like yeah, You don't just... have to shit on your own players. It was, And for a coach who I think for the most part tried to gaslight us, especially with Ben, but really with almost everyone. Uh, that was a, a, a just a really weird stance to take. Especially and I think when he's part of it, though, was because I think he felt like he was being uh, second-guessed by people that he doesn't think are basketball qualified yeah. to second-guess him. And I think that's always a problem with Doc. It, it, it was... He's supposed to be savvy. 
And, and that was one of the things that he, being around the league as long as he has as a player and a coach, where he's supposed to be able to be savvy with these types of questions. Yeah. And, and that's where, and, and that's where I, I would always get frustrated with him because, again, it's the extension when he's speaking to the media and he's talking to these guys and they're asking questions. It's an extension of what, so you're basically shooting down what the fan base, uh, having some hope in a young player being a, a player that can help out in a small way in a postseason, regular season or postseason, we would shoot him down and he's telling you, hey, guys, calm down. You don't know what you're talking about. I do. And that's why you're talking down to your fan base. And as much as he wants to say, I love the Philadelphia fan base. The fan base is crazy. It's great. All this. My agent was here all these years and so on and so forth. But when you're doing that again, you are pointing your finger in the face of the fans who are the paying customer who has thoughts about the players, the team, the organization, paying your help, paying your salary. And, and you do that. That was always one thing that really drove me nuts because it was almost as if, again, you're supposed to be very good at this, but you're tone deaf in this point. So I think we have, because we're, we're starting to actually get towards the end of the show here, and we have a couple super chats that I do think we want to get to. And one of them directly ties into one of the topics that we were bringing up. So first of all, to wrap this up, Harrison G says, would you ask Pop that question? That's obviously a reference to when Doc said that uh, to Austin Krell, not to give Austin Krell another shout out because he loves those shout outs. damn it, free pub for Krell. But that, that's what I'll say. Like you bring up like when Doc and I had our, our one little interaction there. To me, what always bothered me way more than that is when he did it to Austin Krell and he called him out like that. He said, Keith Pompey, that was a dumbass question. When he did basically called Kevin Kincaid an idiot for suggesting to take Ben out when teams are intentional fouling late in games. Those were the ones. It wasn't, I don't care that he like tried to dress me down in a press conference. That's going to happen over the course of a career when you cover a team. It's more the cumulative effect of he's done this to pretty much every reporter on the beat. Why are you so defensive every time somebody asks you questions or something that you deem as questioning a decision you well, made? Well, it's that old saying, right? Where it's like if you wake up every day and all you see are assholes, right? You're probably the yeah. asshole. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which one? When he said that was a stupid ass question, who was that? What? That was Keith. That was Keith. Okay. He, he said it was a dumbass question. Dumbass question. Yeah. yeah. So before we get, I think to, it's pretty. I think it was just a, a random. Like Keith asked him something like, "Hey, it seems like you're playing down to love your competition. What can you do to prevent that?" And he just like lost it. It was yeah. weird. Before we get to our final topic and Harrison's super chat, I know you wanted to get to Tyrese's comments as related to Doc. Yeah, yeah. also on another podcast, and he's talking about the time that Doc Rivers said he was praising the kid for being selfless and coming off the bench and saying that he was the one that suggested, hey, for the betterment of the he team right Tyrese now, Tyrese, like, yeah. that I will come off the bench when he was starting and having success. Now, remember, this was after he was coming back missing a few games due to an injury, and when he came back, he was on the bench. And Doc Rivers made it very clear that this kid is very nice, he's selfless, he would do anything to help the team win. And most people, and I remember at this time too, it was a real conversation of, should Maxi be in the starting lineup? Should he be coming off the bench or should he be in the, on, in the starting lineup? I was of the belief, and I was having these debates uh, in my former place with many people who, you know, also work there. And I'm like, no, he needs to be starting. I get the punch that they need off the bench, but he needs to be starting. You can also have him with that second unit when he comes back in. You can do both things. And that was my belief. So I was of the side that he should have been starting. And when he said that, I never believed it as as honest as Tyrese Maxey is and as nice of a kid as, as he is, you know when you're playing as well as he was that he wanted to stay with that group. You earned that right to be in that starting five. 
That's a real thing where people want to be in the starting five. Of course. From little league to high school to college to the pros. It takes a lot to adjust to a role and accept that role. But that kid was playing some really good basketball, and an injury was not the reason for him to be coming off the bench. So I thought at that point, I never believed it. And then when you would talk to people, they're like, yeah, that wasn't that wasn't true. And for for Tyrese to say it now finally publicly, because he stood up for Doc, as you said, well, before we started the show. He gave him a lot of cover. He gave him a lot of cover because, again, that's who that play, that person is to even give that cover to the head coach and not throw him under the bus for telling a story that wasn't true at that time. Well, and to building off the point I made with Paul Reed, it's like, how do you expect, and it's a credit to Tyrese that he did his best to buy in and continue to be the player that he is. How do you expect Tyrese Maxey or another random player to buy in when you straight up lie to the public about a move that you made and why you made it and why you're doing it, and that player then defends you, like covers for your lie, despite the fact that they're being demoted. Like Tyrese didn't do anything wrong. He was hurt for, he missed like a month, right? Like that yep, was December. The, yep. Yeah. Missed like all of December. He comes back and look, they had played well, mostly because Harden came back and James Harden and Joel Embiid healthy at the same time means you're going to win a bunch of games. But DeAnthony Melton is in that starting role and, and does fine. And there was some basic logic to it. But to say that it, like, to pin it on Tyrese so that nobody essentially holds you accountable for it is the exact sort of thing that we're talking about here. He didn't want the blowback if it didn't work. So he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to say the guy who's being demoted, who's saying on this podcast with with Gilly that he's calling his mom, that he's depressed and he like doesn't want to play. I'm going to point to him and say he did it because the city loves him so much that they'll believe it. He's such a nice kid that they'll believe it. And if it goes wrong, I'll just put him in and nobody will say anything else about it. It's complete fucking bullshit to do that. It's super manipulative of a kid who is so nice and is such a coach's kid that he just rolled with it. But that says everything about Tyrese, but also everything about Doc at the same time. It's their their two personalities and how they approach things in a nutshell. And for Tyrese to wait this long, and I know he said it on JJ Reddick's podcast, something to the same effect too. I can't believe he waited this long to actually get into it because that was just a crazy thing to... All of us took wholesale because Tyrese went along with it. It was wild. Well, and also just who the fuck lies about that? Like really? who would actually lie about it? It's so easily disproven. And it's so like you, your whole thing is a manager player who's clearly upset about coming off the bench. Don't then add to it by making it sound like it was his idea. And look, the Sixers, when Maxi and Harden were in there, were struggling defensively at that time. I remember pointing that out. I remember writing a column about that. But my conclusion was, you've just got to stagger these players a little bit more to get better, uh, you know, matchups, to to use them against not that you're going to send your your 20 what was he 21 at that point 21 mm-hmm. year old like french future franchise player to the bench bench with a crisis of confidence and it's one thing to make that decision i think it was a wrong decision but like there were you know I, like i said there were real legitimate defensive concerns yeah. but to compound that with the wrong decision and also just flat out lie <laughs> about whose decision it was like that's like 
picture-perfect way to how, to how to alienate one of the few people on the team you truly cannot alienate. Uh, it was, and, and obviously that's going to impact Maxi, especially when there are like previous instances of Maxi being on the trade block, which again is something that Maxi talked about uh, on the JJ Reddick podcast from a couple months ago. It's just player mismanagement 101. But he thinks other people talk too much. So, yeah. 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 Well, anyway, and that, then the that's buy-in. probably enough. And, and, yeah. And, but I was going to say this the buy in part too, when you speak about a young player or even a veteran player. I mean, just not to get Derek going on the Isaiah Joe piece, he was traded for it, you know, for a different re- and let go for a different reason for in terms of the salary stuff. But when he had that good training camp, right, and he, and he's in preseason and he's lighting Shooting it up, and you're like, the ball, yeah. uh, he might need to be in the rotation, and he's pushing some of these other players. And then you get in there, you make a mistake, and then you're pulled, and you never see the light of day again. So how's the player Miles supposed to feel? pointed out in the comments too. He also lied about Harden changing the way he played after the all-star game if you oh, look yeah. at his numbers they're yeah. functionally identical yeah so. no he was and that argument there he was saying that harden was playing a more team-oriented game before the all-star break then afterwards he came out and started gunning for his numbers and i went back and looked at the usage and all that stuff it was pretty much to your point identical uh to blame harden's change of attitude and look i think harden wanted to play a different way i yes. think he wanted the ball more but i think for the most part and this is why I'm, I'm really curious to see how things go in in with the Clippers because I think Harden, while it's going on, will bend more than I think maybe he's given credit for and bend his style of play more than he's given credit for, but afterwards might not entirely enjoy it, especially if it ends up not working out. But I think last year, he, for the most part, played consistently team ball throughout while you know grinding his teeth and complaining about it afterwards. But still, during the season, I don't think that was their downfall. Anyway, want to move on to... Yeah. trade nonsense you want to get to the other super chat yeah uh, well from... and we'll build off i think that's a uh it's a dejounte related super chat so we'll yeah. just, we'll and harrison i feel a little guilty that he gave us five dollars for a topic we were already going to talk about so hey if you come out to an event i will buy you a drink to help hey you look at that, that. so yeah. harrison asks curious what your thoughts are on the five teams that are considered suitors for dejounte sixers look like they have a I guess I'm assuming you mean good chance mm-hmm. of getting not a food it. chance, not a food we can't, chance. We're not going to send him one bagel to be named later. So, uh, old friend uh, of ours, Jake Fisher, now at Yahoo, had a. Report. He's not that old. I'm saying that I've, I've I known know, him I know, for, joking. for quite a, a bit at this point. So, Jake Fisher reported on the tr- the trade rumor mill today. I'd say there are, there's one one or two main things that we have reported on this show a hundred times, which is that. They're not in on Levine, and they're not trading for Siakam. That we already kind of know. And then Jake laid out the potential suitors or the expected potential suitors for DeJounte Murray. They are the Lakers, Knicks, Sixers, Heat, and Pistons. A couple of those are, I would say, between the Lakers, Heat, and Sixers, it's a trio of teams that, like, they're just in every single trade room. Yeah. I do think for the Heat, it makes sense. Like, I think they could really oh, sure. use a point yeah. guard like that. Yeah, I mean, the, I'd say you could squint at all those teams and make a case that yeah. they they could use Murray. I, I think for the same reasons that when I brought up Terry Rozier recently, DeJounte Murray, like a higher-end version of why you would trade for Rozier, making a little bit more money and is, a, I'd say, a better overall player, more versatile player in terms of the defensive stuff. Um, so he, he's interesting in New York, although I don't, to me, they're probably not cashing in their chips. If I had to handicap it, the Lakers seem like the most likely 
if they don't go for Levine just because they're a desperate enough team that they'll throw whatever they need to to get Murray. And I don't I don't suspect that like the Sixers would do that. I don't yeah. suspect the Heat would do that. I don't think the Knicks are because I think, you know, the smoke is out there about wanting Joel or Donovan Mitchell or some of these other guys. And Murray is he's several tiers below Joel. He's at least a tier or two below Donovan Mitchell. The Pistons are the fifth team and I lend yeah. basically no credence to them yeah, getting anyone. I have no anyone. idea why that would even be added. <laughs> and even for the Lakers, you add the, the clutch part again. We can't ignore that yes. just because of LeBron, Rich Paul out there in LA. I'd say the other thing I'm going to have to like, can we get someone to play bagpipes or something? Uh, Jake also said that Tyus Jones does not appear to be a target for the Sixers. So my obligatory mention of Tyus Jones might have to end with this episode. You can keep well, pushing it. Doesn't I'll, mean it has to stop. You can I'm not going to criticize Jake's reporting, but like, not every report is a hundred percent. We can keep the dream alive. We don't got to kill it. <laughs> yeah. I did mention still. yesterday. I'm not sure he'd hold up in the playoffs. So that's probably factoring yeah. into it, but yeah. And I would also say that the reporting that is out there is that Washington's asking for a high price. Like I think they want an unprotected first and, as much as I've been on the Tyus Jones train, I am not giving up an unprotected first to get him. You might, you might get me to cough up like a nice second and a, a young player I don't really care about, but I'm not giving up real stuff. So that's the reason I brought him up, right? Is he's on the expiring, he's on kind of mm-hmm. you know, smallish contract. He's gettable, but if it comes down to that, I'd rather you know take a flyer on Delon Wright or. Bill Monte Morris out of Detroit, if he's ever healthy enough to play, I suppose. I don't know. Yeah, and, and he was mine. Uh, Monte Morris, similar situation, but he hasn't played, so how much could they really ask for coming out of Detroit? He even looked, watching him those few games, and, of course, when all the attention of the losing streak was on, he looked like sitting out, picked up a few LBs, so he might have <laughs> to go on that, that diet that Derek was talking about because I think the donuts hurt him a little bit. But as far as the player... As the backup point guard, it, it make it seems like that would make sense too. If you have to pivot from Tyus Jones, if they're being unreasonable and asking for too much in Washington, but the, the Murray piece, uh, we keep talking about it. It's going to continue to be talked about because he's he's one of those types of players, especially when all the reporting says Atlanta is going to go in that direction potentially. Yeah, and one other thing to quickly point out here because it came out today. Uh, Marcus Smart, who we just talked about the other day, has a severe right ring finger injury and will be sidelined for six weeks, which will take him through the end of the trade deadline, which complicates maybe anyone that was looking at him as a target. Yeah, so here's the only pushback I would have on that is that I think any Sixers move, from what I can tell, is going to come in the like final days leading into the deadline. I don't think they're... All the reporting and everything that we've all heard has been they're waiting this out. Like they're they don't huh. feel rushed to make a move right now. So if you say, okay, that's six weeks, that puts you at I mean that puts you at late February. Yeah, late February. So a month of that is getting eaten up between now and the deadline. You might have to go through oh. if if he's made available, I don't think that's gonna stop them, is all I'm saying. I'm not saying that uh, yeah, you just worry about it because you don't know how well he will come back and what yes. it looks like. That's the only. No, that's completely yeah. fair. Yeah, and even also the time between the All Star break, if you feel like it, it it works, that time off from the All Star break 
it, there are no games being lost because they're not playing for about a week and maybe like a week and a half. So mm-hmm. no games lost there where they're taking a big hit and who knows what they're looking like going into the all-star break. But you certainly look at Marcus Smart and say, all right, maybe he's still worthy of taking a gamble and, and jumping in that way of, of going in after that player. Yeah. And I don't know if maybe this makes Memphis a little more likely to make wholesale changes. I don't know if maybe this makes them think like, Hey, his trade value is now so depressed and we have no chance of recouping what we spent on him that there might be more likely to keep him and sell him at a higher uh, point. Um, We'll see how it shakes out, but it was just something I wanted to bring up. And I would say too, I actually looked into the, that trade closer after we discussed it the other day, the value was not, quite as bad as I thought it was. So they traded a first, but they traded, I think it was like pick 25 and they got 35 back. So they essentially just moved, they traded a first, which is this upcoming Warriors pick, which granted can end up being super valuable depending on how that goes. But they traded a first and moved back 10 slots in the draft for Marcus Smart, which that feels like one, a fair price. Two, if they do decide to move him, I think that's a price that the Sixers can probably meet without having to like completely empty the cupboard to get him. So if he's made available, I continue to think that's a, an interesting guy. They got to keep looking at. Yeah. I like Marcus. Kane says, uh, I've seen that the Sixers are trying to bring back PJ Tucker and in, in, in interest in oh, that. Oh, hell no. Well, first of all, so to be I able to this. acquire him, wouldn't he yeah. have to get, he'd have to get traded elsewhere and then bought out, right? Like it, the Clippers can't, buy him out and then the Sixers sign him. He has to go to another team, then leave that team before they can acquire him. So it's, I don't see that happening, frankly, nor do I want to see it happen. Not with another year left on his deal. No, no, no. Yeah. Well, that pretty much do it for us. Got the Sixers and the Kings tomorrow. We'll see about Joel Embiid's availability. Before we go, I want to tell you about P-H-L-Y Locker, of course, dot com. Check out our new merchandise. Got the hats, the hoodies that are available. Hoodie season, you can see there on the screen if you're just listening, but watching on the screen, you can see the hoodies. Our P-H-L-Y Sixers podcast hoodie with the logo on the so left side. We got to get us some of those, man. And the, hood, the logo on the back. You can also, the P-H-L-Y Eagles podcast as well for the guys with the, the, the helmet. The old school helmet looks pretty cool in the Kelly green color, which you, many of you love more than the current version of the green for the uniforms. Those are available again at phlylocker.com. The hats. The guys have the hats on. Look at that. The trucker hat. I just grabbed the hat as if we don't have the... There we go. (laughs) We had the graphic on the screen and I'm going... I left the hat at home and that's my my mistake. I didn't, you know, that's my bad. You know, I, I didn't eat. I, I didn't, you know, also, your mouth nourished. Also, be sure eat. to uh, to come out to us at the watch party on Monday. Oh yeah, baby, we yes. will we will be there. Or I'm planning to be there because we That's have the an early Sixers game that day, and might need a few drinks to get through that Eagles oh, game. Oh, definitely will. Seven forty-five at Wicked Wolf. Make sure you're there. The watch party with the guys, Bo. and and Zach will be in Tampa, so I think it's Jamie and yes. and Bo at that time, but. Looks like we're going to be there, the whole team. We're going to support. 12th and Chestnut. 12th yep. and Chestnut, so we'll be there. Just want to say, Devon, you got phlylocker.com right twice in the same show. I'm proud of you, my man. I'm proud of you. That's because the pressure that Derek puts on me, folks. <laughs> Speaking of our team, I got to talk about our team in the comments, as always. Thank you very much to Martian Lynch, our guy Gavin, 
Will, my guy, Money Mar, Dave, Kane, Illicit Traps here once again, Cousin Grace, Miles Johnson, Heidar all the way from Iceland, the Bull RJ, who was getting a lot of flack What's in the up, comments RJ? for no reason. What's up, RJ? Ash Monroe, our guy. Al, the two-minute warning. Yo, Money, Money Mar, Joe Sox. Who, who else am I Bootzilla. missing here? Peace, y'all. Bootzilla. Liam Stevens. Uh, Jay of the Jungle. A lot of familiar faces. Brian McKnight. <laughs> you too, Brian. Almost. Everyone who's here who I don't see in our, our comments, if you could subscribe to the channel, hit the bell icon on Ding. your way out so you get notifications each and every time we go live. And if you hit the thumbs up button, maybe, don't hold me to this, maybe I'll buy you a beer at that Eagles watch party on Monday night. I'll see you guys later. Back after the Kings game Friday night. Does that night. count for me? You going to buy me a beer? Can I get a beer? You going to buy me a uh, beer? No. No? All right. Yeah. <laughs> see you guys. Talk to you too. <laughs> We're all silly like the mayor. 